So today, as we begin 2019 with our first service of the year, we're starting a new series. And this series is called FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions. And if you've been around for a little while, you may recognize that because in the past, we have done individual weeks, messages called FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions, where we invite people from the community uh, to ask questions, ask their tough questions about God or about faith. Uh, we've taken some questions that, that have surfaced through the centuries that, that, that Christians have always wrestled with, and we've, we've talked about those. And they've always been really, really well received. People have always appreciated this opportunity to explore questions. Uh, but there was always a little bit of a problem. To, to me, it always felt like when we would do this in a one-week format, it felt like we would just scratch the surface of some of these deep questions, that, that we would just begin to get started on, on exploring some of these difficult questions when this, the week was over and we would just move on. And so Norton had this great idea to start the year. What if we started with a series where we were able to dive deep on some of these bigger questions and explore them even further. And so that's what we're gonna do. But before Norton jumps into the questions themselves, he's given me a chance to kind of kick the series off by setting a little bit of a context. Because that is the other thing is, is I think sometimes the way we, we came at that the, those messages, those individual messages and those questions wasn't always the most helpful. So today I wanna set a frame of reference, set a track for where we're gonna go in this series by talking a little bit about questions themselves and the importance that questions play, the important role that questions play in our faith. You know, when you think about questions, questions are just a core part of being human. I mean, nobody has to teach you to ask questions. When you're a child, you just naturally ask questions. Kids naturally ask questions, even babies begin to explore and they, they show curiosity and they want to learn about things. And kids, as, they are, as soon as they're able to, to grasp language, what it's the, what's one of the first things that begin to, they begin to do? They begin to ask questions, so many questions. Kids ask so many questions. In fact, I found this great video online where a British news team did a little bit of an experiment to find out how many questions do kids actually ask? Take a look at this video. With our child-friendly helmet cameras, we're going to monitor each child from the moment they wake until they fall asleep to see precisely how many questions they ask in a day. Here we go. Why have I got a camera in front of me? What do I do later? Can I have a baby brother? What's your favorite thing? Shall I swing? Can I have a biscuit? Can we start the question? Yes, let's go. Why am I putting ice thin on? Why have I called cupcake? Can I lick my finger? No, wait till finished. Yeah. At the halfway stage, things are progressing nicely. Zachary has so far asked 122 questions. Bryony has asked 157. And Imani is staggering 177, giving an average of 152 putting them on course to smash the predicted total of 288. Hello. Hello. Will they be able to keep it up? Am I as fast as you say Velma? Is this one hot? Are there any ducklings? Can I have a lolly or an ice cream? What's for dinner tonight? Oh. I was just going to say. I've got muscles. Why are muscles that you can eat called muscles? Well, that was impressive. 
The question is, did our children really ask as many as 288 questions over the course of the day? Let's find out. Drum roll, please. Thank you. The average number of questions asked by our three children over the course of their waking day was an incredible 312. Why? 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 Because I said so, all right? So you may watch that video, and you know, it's not very scientific. They took three kids, and you may be thinking to yourself, 312, that's, that's kind of a lot. Maybe it's just those kids. Do you know who those of you who are thinking that is? All of you don't have kids. Because the rest of us who are like 312, my kid can totally crush that. My kid asks way more than 312. Because we know as soon as you spend time around some kids, especially if you've got little ones, three, four, five years old, if you've got kids back in Wombaland right now, you know. Kids are masters at asking questions. You don't have to teach them, you don't have to tell them, they just naturally ask questions. And yes, they are relentless. Why, 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 why? It's, it's just, it just never ends. And then something interesting happens. Around five or six years old, researchers have found that the number of questions that kids begin to ask begins to decline. So the question is, why? Why do we ask fewer questions as we get older? Why do kids ask fewer questions as they get older? It's a good question, and there are some good internal and external reasons that researchers have found. Internally, what they know is that around five years old, neurologists tell us that something interesting happens called synaptic pruning, that when children are born, they're like sponges. And our brains are just soaking up information so fast, making connections in our brains. The reason we ask questions is we're trying to make sense of the world. We're trying to understand how things work around us and we're just absorbing information. Well, sometime around five years old, our brain starts to get tired. It begins to get tired of making these connections. We begin to get to the point where it's saturated. Holding the information that we've taken in begins to be challenging. We begin to ask fewer questions. So there are some internal factors Factors. And this continues as we get older, as we continue taking on more information. Some of you may be nodding your head and saying, yeah, I just feel like I can't keep all of the things straight in my head and I'm forgetting things all the time. That's because your brain has a hard time holding the information that it has and wanting to go ask questions and bring in new information. So there's some internal things that happen, but externally some things happen as well. Certainly families, siblings, parents, Friends begin to affect how we think about questions. I mean, once a parent gets asked 312 questions a day for a while, at some point they hit a breaking point. And they're like, enough, stop, because I said so, stop. And so we begin to learn that sometimes questions aren't socially acceptable or asking 312 questions a day isn't socially acceptable. But I think that's a smaller factor. There's something else very significant that happens around five or six years old for most of us, in, at least in our culture. What is it that happens around age five or six that might affect the questions that we ask? School, exactly, we start going to school. Yeah, we begin spending as much time away from our families as we spend with our families. We been, begin spending time with teachers and with other peers as, as we, as we uh, start this learning process. And, and initially you might think, well, you know, school is a place to ask your questions, right? It isn't a place, school a place uh, to begin to, you know, 
encourage kids' curiosity, encourage their exploration. Isn't school a place that they should ask questions? Well, you would think so, but we have to ask, why do kids ask fewer and fewer questions as they progress in school? Because researchers have found that that is the case. The further that we go in school, the fewer questions that we ask. And as a corollary, the less engaged we become in the schooling process. We are most engaged in learning in elementary school. And the studies show, the, the graph, if they graph it out, it's a steady decline all the way on through high school. So why do kids ask fewer and fewer questions the further they progress in school? Well, it's maybe worth stepping back and asking the question, how does school encourage or discourage questions? What is the process that, that our school system is, is engaging in and, and is it encouraging or is it discouraging questions? Well, one of the answers is that in schools today, we care more about answers than we do about questions. That's the theory of Harvard's Tony Wagner. He's an expert in education. He says this. He says, somehow we've defined the goal of schooling as enabling you to have more right answers than the person next to you. And we penalize incorrect answers. And we do this at a pace, especially now in this highly focused test prep universe where we don't have time for extraneous questions. Now, to be fair to all the teachers in the room, it's not like they have a lot of choice. The system is set up in such a way that we're concerned about what our students know and what they learn. And the only way to measure that is through testing. And that testing requires the teachers to fill the kids' heads with a certain amount of content. And the problem is that doesn't leave a lot of time or a lot of space for inquiry or for questions or for exploration or for curiosity. And so studies show that even as our skills like reading and writing and doing mathematics, spatial awareness, as those things increase, our capacity and our ability to ask questions, our curiosity declines over time. On through middle school, into high school, on into adulthood, each year we ask fewer and fewer questions. Which makes you wonder, what is lost when there's no room? for inquiry and where questions are seen as extraneous. What's the cost of that? I think it's important to ask because when we step back and we think about it, what is a question? What is a question? What does a question represent? What is lost when we stop asking questions? What is it that we no longer are engaging in when we don't ask questions? What are we missing if we're not asking questions? You see, in their purest form, I think questions are, are just the most natural form of our, our human curiosity to know the unknown, to know about life and about the world around us. They, they rise from within us, and whether we ever speak them to anyone else or not, questions just simply exist. They have a life of their own. But the further and further we go in life, we begin to just simply stop asking questions. We just begin to rely on the information that we've accumulated. We just begin to take things for granted. We don't question. We don't even see sometimes. We just ignore things that are happening all around us because we're just moving forward, taking for granted what we think we already know about the world and we stop asking questions. But as we get older, Part of that is because we realize that questions aren't always neutral, are they? Questions aren't always innocent. They're not always pure. Questions can also be dangerous. 
Questions can be disruptive. They can be unsettling. They can awaken fear within us. At home, at work, in our friendships, questions can lead us into dark places. Will I ever find work that I enjoy? What will happen to our business if sales don't pick up soon? Does she still love me anymore? What if something happens to my kids? Often these questions rise, again, without us asking for them. They come to our mind, and often we push them to the edges of our mind because we don't want to go into those places. We don't want to think about those things. We don't really want to answer those questions, or we don't want to know what the answer to those questions are. And so they rattle around in our mind. They don't simply go away. And they have a lot of company up there in our brain because as we push those to the side, there are other questions that come up as well. Probably not every day. Maybe only every once in a while. Maybe late at night when you're laying in bed. Maybe in the face of great joy or great pain or suffering, other questions rise in us, deeper questions. What is my purpose? Why am I here? What am I here for? What does it mean to live a good life, to be a good person? What does it look like to have a good and meaningful life? What happens after I die? What is beyond this life? Is there a God? Can I know him or her? Is there a way that I can have a relationship with him? These questions transcend our everyday life. They call us into something deeper. These are the questions that preoccupy philosophers and theologians and have since the dawn of human existence. They're questions that don't have simple answers. They are questions that extend beyond what we can see. They are questions of faith. In the Christian tradition, the author of the biblical book of Hebrews defines faith in this way. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Things we hope for. Things we cannot see. These things that lay just beyond our ability to put our hands on, to wrap our minds around, to see, to taste, to engage with our five senses. These things that we're not sure about, but we have hopes for. These things that we, we don't see, but, but we believe or, or we want to believe. These are the issues of faith. And they call questions to our mind. What is it that we hope for? In this life, beyond this life, what unseen forces or entities might have impact on our life and our world? Yes, questions are at the heart of faith. Questions about the things we can't see, we can't put our hands on, we can't engage with our senses, these things that lie just beyond our ability to fully comprehend and understand, these questions are the nature of faith. And yet, and yet, too often, isn't it true that faith leaders, religious leaders, fall into the same trap as our educational teachers, our educational leaders? Isn't it true that we become too interested in giving answers than we do about the inquiry, the questions? Aren't we more focused sometimes about just transmitting content? And it's understandable. I mean, I have sympathy for myself. I mean, let's just start with the Bible the book that is at the center of the Christian faith. 
It's not a book, it's a library. It's 66 different books written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years. 1,500 years of history and culture written in different languages. Let me, just beginning there, that's so much information to be able to pass along to people to understand what's at the core of our faith. And then we have 2,000 years of church history and tradition and scholarship and theology about what it means to follow Jesus, who he was and who he still is to us and how we, we live this life of faith. And so who has time in the midst of all that information that we have to transmit? Who has time for questions? We should have time for questions. More than any other religion, more than any other faith tradition, we should have time for questions because the heart of our faith is not a book. The heart of our faith is not the Bible. The center of our faith is a person, the person of Jesus. And Jesus, that guy, loved questions. He loved questions. When you read through the accounts of Jesus's life, Jesus asked a ton of questions. There was a book that was written. I did a little bit of research. I didn't go count them all, but a guy wrote a book called Jesus is the Question. And he says, according to his research, there are 307 questions recorded throughout the four accounts of Jesus's life that Jesus asked. 307 questions. Now, some of those questions were actually answers to some other people's questions because Jesus never answered anybody with a direct answer. He almost never. 183 times in the Gospels, 183 times it's recorded that someone asked Jesus a question. Do you know how many times he gave a direct answer? Eight. Eight out of 183. The other 175, he asked them another question or he told a story because Jesus was not into simple answers, because he knew deep questions about life, about God, about faith could not be answered simply. And so he asked questions to incite exploration. He told stories to evoke the imagination. And Jesus asked fantastic questions. Just listen to a few of the questions that Jesus asks. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your religious tradition? So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Don't you know me even after I've been among you such a long time? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, even if you don't know the context that Jesus asked those questions or who he asked them to, those are powerful and evocative questions that if you just took some time and sat with them, they would call out something deep in you and, and even call deeper questions, more questions out of you. And that was the point. That was Jesus constantly used questions as a teaching tool because he was not just simply trying to transmit information. He was trying to help people to engage and to learn, to acquire information on their own and questions were the best way of doing that. 
Jesus loved asking questions and he didn't mind facing the tough questions that other people asked. He didn't mind facing the tough questions of the religious leaders or other people of his day and he didn't mind turning it right back around and not giving a direct answer. And he always did so with confidence and with grace because he saw each question as an opportunity to expose and to explore how people thought about life and about God and about faith. And yet for us in our day, too often, I think when, when we think about questions of our faith, it, it evokes fear or anxiety in us. When we, when we are in conversations with other people about the nature of life and about what's true and what's real and what's beautiful and our faith comes up, don't we get, I get nervous and anxious because I don't know that I'm gonna have the right answers. I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm gonna have the right thing to say. We feel doubt and uneasiness creeping in. We feel like not having clear answers to these questions actually undermines our faith that if we can't give a clear, simple answer, then there must be something wrong or broken with our faith. But what if it didn't have to be that way? What if we're thinking about our faith in the wrong way? What if we embrace that doubts and uncertainty are inseparable from faith? What if questions and doubts and uncertainty were just part of what it means to have faith? What if we could begin to welcome tough questions and to be able to say, I, I'm not really sure, but I would love to explore that more. What if we be, could begin to receive these questions without fear and reconnect with our childlike curiosity to want to know more? Too often we feel uneasy, we feel anxious, about these questions because we don't have certainty. We don't have total clarity about our answers. But faith isn't about certainty. It's about commitment. It's about committing in the face of uncertainty. When it comes to the most difficult decisions in life, we all have a degree of uncertainty. Regardless of what you believe about God or the Bible or Jesus, everyone is living by faith, even if that faith is in that there is no God and that the seen world, the tangible physical world is all that there is. That is a form of faith in and of itself. All of us have to go out and make decisions about how we live. That is the ultimate expression of our faith. Our commitments, our choices, our decisions, that is the clearest expression of what we believe. Not what we say, not, not what, we, what we tell other people that we believe, not, not what we come to church, but how we live our lives. Those are our choices and our commitments. And there is no neutral. You don't get to sit on the sideline and say that you're agnostic or there's no, there is only your life and your choices and your decisions and how you answer the important questions like, how will I use my time today? How will I choose to spend the money and use the resources that I've been given, that I have? How will I parent my children? How will I treat other people, my friends, my neighbors? What about my enemies? You see, everybody has to make a choice and a decision. And there are no easy answers to these questions. I'm sorry, but you cannot go to Google and Google the, to find the simple answers to these questions. Because all of these questions 
Regardless of how much time you've spent in school, regardless of how much you've learned, how much information you've acquired, Google education will not provide you with the answers to how you should live your life. So we all have to decide, we have to make choices, we have to live our lives. And those choices reveal where we truly place our faith. And all of them involve some degree of uncertainty. There is no certainty about the the deep questions of our life. This is where faith comes in. And our faith in Jesus can actually inform how we make those decisions. Because we can look at the things that Jesus taught and the way that he saw the world, the map that he gave us for for what is true and what is real and what is beautiful. What does it mean to be a good person? How do I live a good life? We can begin to take those things and act on them with doubts for sure, with questions 100%. But we have to commit and we have to make a decision. And that is the goal of faith, to be able to make commitments and choices in the face of uncertainty. Our faith should always embrace questions and not flee from our doubts. Our faith should always be seeking to grow by facing and exploring questions more and more and more as the years pass. I love the creed that St. Anselm, a, a Christian philosopher and theologian of the 11th century lived by. He said, fides querens intellectum, which means faith seeking understanding. Now, this is not a desire to replace faith with understanding, to seek understanding so that we don't need faith anymore. It is saying that faith, uncertainty, will always call us to seek to to fill what we don't know with knowledge and understanding. But the more that we know, the more we begin to realize that we don't know. The further we go in life, the more we learn, the more we know we have to learn. Faith should always call us to seek understanding, knowing that there will never be certainty in some of these difficult questions in life. This perfectly describes, in my opinion, the posture that we should take personally and as a community. And the motivation with this posture is this desire for our faith, facing uncertainty, to be able to make commitments and choices and to continue to ask questions more and more and more as the years pass. As I think about my personal journey with God, as I look back, my faith looks so different today. The things that I believe and the way that I think about my faith is so different than it was 10 years ago, five years ago, a year ago. And I can see the times that I grew the most were the times that I was honest with myself and with others about my uncertainties and about my doubts and about my questions and allowed God to enter into that. Not to provide easy answers, sometimes just to provide whole new questions that continued to lead me forward. And as I look back and I think about the way that my faith has grown and has changed over over time, I see And I understand how God used those questions to move me along and to help me make choices, even in the face of uncertainty. And my commitment is greater to some of those things that are at the core. Some of those things that I thought were important 10 years ago, I've let go of. I don't think, I don't really worry about those questions as much anymore. But the things that are at the center, I'm more committed to than I ever have been before. And so as we wrap up today and as we begin this series, I wanna leave you with this challenge. Because I think this is what it means to become a follower of Jesus, to be the most curious people 
on the planet. I want to challenge you as we end today and as we start this new series to cultivate your inner four-year-old. How many questions can you think of in a day? What are the questions that have come to your mind even as we've been talking today? Capture those. Don't push them to the edge of your mind. Engage with them. Share them with friends. We're going to create some opportunities to explore big questions over the next few weeks. And we want you to come back each week to engage in those with us. Norton is going to lead us through these questions. And here's just a little sample of some of the questions we're going to be exploring. Why does God allow so much evil? Does God cause natural disasters? Why is God so angry in the Old Testament? No, seriously, why is God so angry in the Old Testament? What happens to people who don't believe in Jesus? Is there a hell that is eternal and fiery? And is Jesus the only way? Now, these are questions that Norton has put together from past FAQ messages that we've done and from just questions that we've gotten through the years. And he's going to explore these. And hey, spoiler alert, he's not going to give simple answers to these questions. There are no simple answers to these questions, but together we're going to engage them and we're going to explore them together. But we also want you to have a chance to share the questions you're wrestling with and thinking about. So we've got this board that's hanging on the, in the back. As you go out, you'll see it. And if you've got questions, go ahead and write them down. Stick them up on the board. We're not going to engage in those through a message, but we are going to share them with one another, simply posting them on the board. You can see the other questions that people in this community are asking so that we can engage with them together. And my hope is that this would spill out of Sunday and into our everyday week that we would take these into our personal relationships, into our D groups that are just getting started, that we would become the best question askers and that we would begin to even affect the rest of our lives, that we would become the, the people that ask questions and are curious in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, that it would affect the way that we engage in the world. We should be the most curious people on the planet. Imagine how that curiosity, that openness might engage other people, how it might affect your life, your work, your marriage, your parenting, if we started to ask questions and follow God where he leads as we engage in those. So as we close today, let's pray and let's ask that God would meet us in the midst of that process and give us courage and curiosity as we think about questions. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we um, come this morning and acknowledge that uh, there's much that we don't know. Um, whether we just showed up today and we're starting an exploration of faith or whether we've been walking with you 10 or 20 or 30 years, we have so many questions, we have so many doubts, so many places that we have faith and make commitments, but so many places that we, we have doubts and, and need help, need you to strengthen our faith. And so God, as we begin this journey together, I pray that we would become a curious people, a people that ask questions that don't shy away, um, from expressing our doubts, um, and that that wouldn't be seen as a sign of weakness of faith, but instead that it would be seen as a part of a, a faith that's seeking understanding, and that we as a community would embrace that posture, and that over not only the coming weeks, but the coming months and the coming years, that that would be a part of our culture, that we could bring all of ourselves, all of our doubts, all of our questions, all of our wonderings about you, about life, about Jesus, and that we could bring those, and together, that we could journey together and explore and that our faith would continue to grow. And though we may never reach certainty on some of those questions, God, give us the courage to make the commitments to follow you 
to have faith and to have trust in Jesus and in his way. We pray these things through the Son and by the Spirit.